0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another version of the Sports Island Podcast. I am your host, Rick Mitchell, and this is version 19 of the Sports Island Podcast. Continuing to bring you all the latest sports news and coverage, and I hope you all enjoy listening to it and continue to do so. Uh, As you may have noticed, we did not have an episode last week. There, there was still sports news going on, uh, but last week's news throughout the nation, of course, was the presidential election, so uh, there wasn't really enough sports topics to get into uh, to make an entire episode, so we went ahead and took last week off. Hopefully, everybody's refreshed and recharged and ready to get caught up on all the latest sports news, and there is plenty of it, so we'll go ahead and we'll jump right in. And we'll start off like we usually do in the PGA Tour. And a couple weeks ago on the last episode, um, I broke down the Bermuda Championship, which was held at the Port Royal Golf Course in Southampton, Bermuda. And this tournament just had a complete lackluster field of talent. Uh, It was absolutely horrible in terms of field. There was zero big names it was a small purse tournament and it just was not something you were going to tune into and uh, that being said though there were still there was still some competitive golf being played Uh, it actually went to a playoff hole uh, between Brian Gay and Wyndham Clark and both guys finished with a score of 15 under par Uh, and in that playoff hole Brian Gay came out on top over Wyndham Clark. And your third place finisher was Ollie Schneiderhands at 13 under. Now my picks to click for that tournament, we'll recap those. And the first pick I gave you for that tournament was Will Zalatoris. And I picked Zalatoris because he's you know he's he's a young kid. He's been dominating the Corn Ferry tour and he's been real consistent even in his several starts on the PGA Tour. So I figured, you know, in a lackluster field, I said, all right, why not? Let's, let's go with Zalatoris. Now, Zalatoris ended up finishing eight under par, which was good for a 16th place tie. So he was a click. Uh, of course, as a reminder, I count my picks to click as a finish inside the top 25. So Zalatoris at 16 uh, was a click. Now, my second pick-to-click was Doc Redman. And I picked him because uh, he has had several top five, top ten finishes uh, since the PGA Tour restart several months back. And I had mentioned that I picked him in my uh, weekly fantasy pool uh, that I am in. And I liked for Redman to uh, certainly finish well in this. Now, Redman actually led the tournament for um, quite a bit of time actually. He, he was in the lead uh, quite a bit. His name was up there for most of the tournament and he ended up finishing at 12 under par which was good for a 4th place finish so uh, Doc Redman was definitely a click there for sure. Got, got a top 5 finish out of that one now my third pick to click for the Bermuda Championship was Brendan Todd. And if you've watched golf this year, you've seen just how many times that Brendan Todd has been at or near the top of the leaderboard uh, on any given Saturday or Sunday, uh, regardless of who was playing, big names or not. And so I figured with this tournament, he actually won this tournament uh, in 2019. So uh, I assumed that he would come out and play well. Well, he did not, uh, because he ended up missing the cut entirely. So he didn't even make it to the weekend. So that being said, I went 2-1 on my picks to click for the Bermuda Championship, which is not bad. Uh, It's not not perfect, but not bad. So uh, last week's tournament, though, was the Vivint Houston Open, which was played at the Memorial Park Golf Course in Houston, Texas. And since we did not have an episode last week, I did not make any picks to click for the Vivint Houston Open. There were a lot more bigger names participating in this tournament, uh, simply because the Masters is this week. And uh, it was more of a preparation tournament for these guys. Uh, But at the end of it, the uh, Vivint Houston Open, Carlos Ortiz was your winner at 13 under par. Uh, there was a tie for second place at 11 under par in which Dustin Johnson and Hideki Matsuyama finished both tied for second with that 11 under par. And then your fourth place finisher was Taylor Gooch with a score of nine under par. Uh, Brooks Kepko is right behind him in fifth place at uh, eight under par. So, uh, there were some big names again at the top of that leaderboard, so it was good to see uh, some some familiar faces at the top of the leaderboard. But uh, don't really have any recaps for the tournament other than that. Um, the, the main story in the PGA Tour, of course, is this week. Uh, that tournament last week was played in preparation for this week's Masters. And the Masters... Is the premier spectacle in all of golf. Uh, Even if you do not watch golf or not a fan of golf, you at least know what the Masters is. The Masters is a major championship, and the winner gets the coveted green jacket. And this is the uh, first time that the Masters is going to be played in the fall. Uh, This tournament's ordinarily played in the spring. Uh, in April, usually the second weekend or first weekend in April. Um, of course the pandemic pushed it back and we are just grateful to even have this tournament in the first place. Now there's not going to be any fans in attendance for this year's masters, which is going to be extremely weird. Um, you know, the masters is, is of course it's at Augusta national golf course in Augusta, Georgia. Um, very hollowed grounds, and the course conditions uh, and the weather for this weekend, what's funny about the weather is that the projected weather for this weekend, the temperatures, are actually warmer than what they would have been had the tournament been played in April, which is very odd. Uh, for, for this time of year to have it be warmer than April, but such is the case and you want to talk about just the prestigious fact of the masters. Um, the PJ announced that the course conditions for the masters are as follows. The fairways are gonna be mowed at three eighths of an inch, the second cut at one and three eighths of an inch. The tees at five 16ths of an inch, the collars at a quarter inch, and the greens at an eighth of an inch. And one new change to the Masters this year is the changes to the cut rule. Now, this is this year's the first time since 2013 that players within ten strokes of the lead no longer automatically qualify for the weekend. They changed it now this year. Only the lowest 50 players will qualify for the final 36 holes. And uh, that includes the players that are tied in that group of, of 50. So you'll probably have more than 50 golfers make it to the weekend but only top 50 in the standings after Thursday's and Friday's rounds will, will be in the weekend um, cut, so to speak. Now, the field, I don't have to say anything about the field. This is a major championship, and it is the Masters. So anybody who's anybody who's anybody will be playing. With the exception of two players who had to withdraw due to positive coronavirus tests. And those players are Joaquin Neiman and the 2017 Masters champion, Sergio Garcia. Both of those guys had to withdraw from the tournament due to positive COVID tests. Now, that doesn't take away from the firepower that this field has. Um, You're talking all the top golfers in the world. And... My picks to click this weekend um, were actually relatively easy for me to make. Uh, Even though there were, you know, anybody could look at this field and and have a tough time picking. But for me, my picks were, were pretty simple. I didn't try to get cute. I'm just going straight up with talent. So let's go with it. My picks to click for the Masters this weekend... I'm gonna start off with Dustin Johnson. He is world number one, and he's been that way for a little while. He is, like I mentioned, he has just been completely dominant the last couple months of golf. Uh, he had to miss a couple weeks due to a positive COVID test, but man, he came back and he's been firing on all cylinders. He finished tied for second last week, and he's never won a green jacket. He is a major champion, he just has not won the Masters. And he has been awfully close to winning the Masters. His last four appearances in the Masters, all top 10 finishes. 2015, he was 6th. 2016, he was 4th. Didn't play in 17. 2018, he was tied for 10th. And 2019, last year, tied for 2nd. So this dude has been all around that green jacket. He just hasn't won it. So I like this year with the way he's played. Give me DJ to pull out a a win this week, possibly. Uh, Certainly going to be in the mix. My second pick to click this week is going to be Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau is number six in the world rankings. He is the U.S. Open champion from Wingfoot. A couple months ago. He hits the ball a mile. And at the Masters. Driving distance. Isn't necessarily going to benefit you. Other than the fact that. He can clear. A lot of the fairway bunkers. Uh, I believe. Most fairway bunkers are clearable. With a carry of about 325 yards. At Augusta. Which. uh, His average drive is around 340. So. Deshambo should be good to if he can put it in the middle of the fairway, he should be able to control uh, not getting into those bunkers. Now his wedge it, this weekend for Deshambo comes down to his his irons and his putting. Uh, he's he's either really good like he was at Wingfoot, or he's really off, and that's kind of his Achilles heel. But I, if we're talking, uh, DeChambeau is actually the odds-on favorite in Vegas uh, to win this thing. So, um, I, I, I like for him to finish inside that top 25 for a click, but he's just a masher of the ball, and I think he's he's got a chance to win his second major in just as many months. Now, my final pick to click for the Masters is going to be Brooks Kepka. He's number 12 in the world. He's a major champion machine. He's got four major championships to his name. Uh, he finished fifth last week at the Vivint Houston Open. And, and that's after having a pretty poor first couple of rounds. Uh, he really turned it on on the weekend and moved himself up the leaderboard and man, I, I like this week for him. Uh, he finished tied for second last year in the Masters. And uh, he, he's really just, he's built for major championships. And there's really not much else that needs to be said about him. I like for him to certainly finish in that top 25 range and potentially pull out a W. But this weekend's going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, the Masters is, is, like I said, it's, it's the, the best spectacle in all of golf. I'll definitely be tuned in all week into that and look forward to uh, another great, great tournament. But we'll move on to the National Football League. And this, this is all about coronavirus tests and the positives. There's been so many positive tests these last couple weeks that I, don't, I didn't keep track anymore. Like I, you know, it's hard to keep track of all these players that are testing positive or that are getting placed on the injured COVID reserve list for either testing positive or having a close contact. Players are being quarantined, you know, teams are holding virtual meetings because uh, of, of a team that they played, possibly uh, having contact with those players. Uh, now, in this last week, well, from November 1st to November 7th, there have been a total of 56 positive tests, which include 15 players and 41 staff members. Now, that's just between November 1st and 7th. This podcast is being recorded on November 12th, and there's been several more this week. So, um, you know, the NFL is hell-bent on finishing this season, which is fine, and I think we all want that, and I mentioned either last podcast or the episode before, the NFL's doing a fantastic job at containing this virus to a certain player or two, Uh, we've had a couple teams have a little bit of an outbreak, but that got controlled, games were, were postponed a couple days, and here we are, you know, halfway through the season, and it looks like, you know, we're on track to get a full season in. Now, in the event that the NFL can't finish a regular season... The NFL owners, they approved a a proposal to add two playoff teams, one in each conference, if some regular season games get canceled. Now, some more info on that. Currently, the NFL has already expanded the playoffs this season to uh, seven, uh, seven teams in each league, you know, each conference, rather. So the AFC has 7, NFC has 7. But this proposed scenario would bring 16 playoff teams to the table. And it's only going to become a reality if the league cannot complete the meaningful games rescheduled in a possible week 18. So essentially, uh, the playoff expansion is only going to come about as a third option if the league can't complete the 256 game regular season within the 17 weeks or 18 weeks with the extension and the 18th week would only be added if the 256 games could not be played in 17 weeks so uh, as it stands now they're on track to play a regular 17 week NFL season now the good news going back to the positive tests and the frequency that we've been having with these uh, the good news is that there have been zero documented incidents of a player contracting the virus due to an on-field transmission. So, if a player tests positive after the game, or tests positive in the the, the test the, on the day of the game, but it's not known until the day after, there's been zero evidence so far of a player contracting the virus from. Playing in the game with that player, so that's very good news. Uh, a lot of players wear those those uh, you know facial visors and their helmets, uh, which which may help you know stop the contamination to a certain extent. Uh, but that's good that we have zero proof that it's being contracted on the field. Which again, the NFL is doing a great job at. Quarantining those players and making them produce, um, you know, three negative tests before they play. Now, I, you know, and I've mentioned this previously. I, I want to know, and we'll never really truly be able to know how many of these tests are false positives, because it seems some guys are testing positive, and then the very next week they're, you know, they're they're playing because they've test tested negative three times. So. To me, it it seems as if some of these, uh, a good percentage of these, if I had to guess, would be false positives. But again, we're never real. That's that's not going to be uh, publicly known. Uh, but again, and that may contribute to why the NFL has done such a good job at at containing this virus. But man, it sure looks like the NFL is on track to play a full season at this particular moment. Um, but that obviously could go awry uh, in, a, in a heartbeat, especially with it getting deeper into the fall, the weather getting colder, and positive cases across the country uh, seemingly spiking by the day. Um, but we'll we'll move on to the NCAA and college football, and college football. This this is going to piggyback right off of the NFL with the positive tests. Uh, This week, we've seen a lot more positive tests in the NCAA, and I've previously mentioned on another episode that I thought college football was going to have a harder time staying on the field and getting games in than the NFL. And that's simply because the college athletes, of course, are on campus with thousands of other students. So the interactions that they have with uh, other Uh, students is a lot more interaction than an NFL player would have, uh, especially now with these virtual meetings and virtual press conferences, those kinds of things to kind of help limit the amount of exposure to uh, the public that the NFL normally gets. So uh, that being said, the NCAA has had a rash of of cancellations or postponements of games just this week. Now the big 10 started their season. Uh, well, let me back up the big 12, the sec and the ACC have been playing this entire time, uh, since September, right? So they've been playing their regular schedule and it's been, um, they're, they six six games in or so. Some teams may have played seven. Uh, But the Southeastern Conference, uh, the SEC, announced this week four postponements of games. A couple of which are pretty heavy matchups. And so in the SEC this week, uh, they have postponed the Georgia... Missouri game, Georgia's number 12 in the country, the Texas A&M-Tennessee game, Texas A&M's number 5 in the country, the Auburn-Mississippi State game, Auburn is currently number 24 in the country, and then the coveted Alabama versus LSU game, and Alabama, of course, is number 1 in the country, and all four of those games have been postponed due to positive tests uh, on one of the, at least one of those teams involved. Now, the Alabama LSU game is the postponement on that is very interesting because the open date for the SEC uh, has already taken place, and the only other time to make up a game would be December the 18th which is also the same day as the SEC championship. So if a team has a game postponed and then makes the SEC championship, that game gets canceled. Well, Alabama's number one in the country, and they don't look like they're doing anything but making the SEC championship game. So you got to figure that the Alabama-LSU game probably is not happening this year. Uh, which is a total bummer. Well, it might be a good thing for LSU because LSU is, is not ranked. They're currently 2-3, and three. and even though that game's in Baton Rouge, uh, that game has all the makings of a blowout for uh, Bama. And so um, we might not get to see that matchup this year at all, uh, but we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Alabama's still got to finish their season. Uh, but that's those are the postponements from the SEC. Now, the Big Ten, I mentioned that they started their season three weeks ago. Wisconsin's been in some trouble with COVID tests. Um, they've missed a couple of games, and they're, they're looking at only playing maybe six games total if it works out, five maybe. Uh, but just uh, today was announced that this weekend's Ohio State-Maryland game has been just canceled, not even postponed, just flat out canceled due to a surge in the number of positive COVID cases in the University of Maryland's program. Uh, and, th- and the Pac-12, they just started a couple weeks ago, and uh, this past week actually, last week the Pac-12 started, they're only playing a seven-game schedule, and there's talk this week that the Arizona State-Cal game is on the verge of getting postponed because of some possible positive tests at the University of California. So that really cripples a... a, a Pac-12 team has a game or two get postponed, and they're only getting, say, five games in this season. Even if they go 5-0... and I think their chances of making the playoffs are just going to be extremely extremely limited. But that game hasn't been postponed yet, so we'll we'll continue to see Now regarding last weekend in the ACC, there was the probably the game of the year which involved the number 1 Clemson Tigers and the then number 4 Notre Dame Irish. And that game was in South Bend, Indiana. And, of course, Clemson's highly touted quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, who projects to be the top overall pick in the NFL draft, uh, and it's not even close. He's been regarded as the highest quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck in 2012. And Trevor Lawrence tested positive a week and a half ago. He had to miss uh, their their game against Boston College, which they had to come from behind and win. But last weekend they were without Trevor Lawrence for their biggest game of the year. So five star freshman quarterback DJ Uyaga came out and man he is he's a special talent at quarterback because Clemson they went into overtime with Notre Dame on the road with a freshman quarterback. And they came up just short. Notre Dame ended up winning that game, but uh, massive playoff implications for that game. Notre Dame jumped up to number two in the rankings, and Clemson dropped to number four. Uh, So they essentially swapped places after that game. But that brought Notre Dame's chances of making the college football playoffs up to 47%, which is roughly what Clemson's is now after that loss. So I think those two teams are going to meet again in the ACC championship. Um, and Clever Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence is due back this week uh, for Clemson, and hopefully he can finish out the season. But uh, if, if that's a rematch in the ACC championship, I think Clemson has the edge on that. Uh, I, I don't see a, a situation in which Clemson misses the playoffs unless they lose another game. But the ACC is pretty top-heavy, so I, I think they Clemson's probably lost the only game that they'll lose before the end of the season. But again, we're just trying to get there. With these positive tests that keep coming up, uh, we're just hopeful that uh, the NCAA can kind of figure it out and, and uh, keep football on the field because that's, that's what we all want to see. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And this is just some quick hit topics from the various sports. And we'll start off in the National Hockey League. And this past week, the NHL announced that they are targeting a... They're still on target for a January 1st start date for the new season. Of course, we would be uh, several weeks into a regular NHL season right now. But, of course, you know, that season, uh, the season just ended. Uh, this past season just ended about a month ago when the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. So they're targeting a January 1st start date. But the NHL has said that they are mulling over a temporary division realignment as well as a, another hub model for the NHL season. And what that the hub model... Basically, Commissioner Gary Bettman said that they're not going to do a full season-long bubble. Uh, that's just too too demanding on the players, especially having just got out of the bubble. But the way it's going to work, if they cannot or if they choose not to do a regular season with uh, regular travel, kind of like the MLB did and the NFL's doing, uh, you play your home games you know, at home and... Um, it's a regular schedule with travel, uh, you know, regularly scheduled. Uh, if they don't opt to do that, the option that they're considering is a modified hub and or they would call a hybrid system. So Commissioner Bettman explained that each team is going to play uh, for about 10 to 12 days and get a bunch of games in without traveling then they'll go back, the teams will go back to their home cities, they'll be home for a week, and then they'll have their testing protocols, and then they'll go back to playing uh, 10 to 12 days in a row, or what have you, and it's not, you know, it's not, that's not going to be quite as effective as the playoff bubble was, because there's still traveling involved, But I think that would help minimize the extent of some positive tests that would occur. Uh, I just think that that's... uh, Is it practical? Yes. Uh, But is that what the players are going to prefer? Probably not. Players are probably going to want to do a regular season. Uh, Now, the the season's going to be shortened. It's probably going to be in the neighborhood of between 60 and 70-ish games instead of the full 82 that it would normally be. Uh, but I think doing that hybrid modified bubble system is, is just not something the players are going to be interested in. But that'll be interesting to see if, uh, if the commissioner decides to go that route. Now, regarding the division realignment, uh, the NHL has seven teams that are based in Canada. And, of course, the U.S.-Canadian border has been closed for travel uh, between the countries since the pandemic started. And it's still in effect until November 21st. Uh, And that could easily get extended uh, by Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, He's the one that's implemented that travel ban between the U.S. and Canada. And it could easily be extended if cases across the country continue to spike. In fact, I would fully suspect that it would get extended. So having that in mind and talking about the division realignment for the NHL, the division realignment that's been floating around social media still has four divisions. Uh, It's just completely uh, mixed and matched here. And so I'll kind of go over the proposed... Divisions. So Division 1 would be your Canadian division, and that would feature the Ottawa Senators, Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs, Winnipeg Jets, Calgary Flames, Edmonton Oilers, and Vancouver Canucks. That seems simple enough. They don't have to go to the United States to play. They cannot stay in Canada, and you still have coast-to-coast coverage there uh, all the way from uh, Montreal to Vancouver, and so uh, that just that that division makes complete and total sense. Second division would be the Pacific slash Central division. It's a merge of the Pacific and Central that currently exist, and those teams would be San Jose Sharks, Los Angeles Kings, Anaheim Ducks, Las Vegas Golden Knights, Minnesota Wild, Arizona Coyotes. Colorado Avalanche, and the Dallas Stars. Again, that makes complete sense for time zone purposes and geographical purposes. Um, I can, I'm, I'm good with that one. The next division is the Atlantic slash Central, and it's a merge, of course, the Atlantic and the Central that currently exist. Those teams in that division proposed would be Boston Bruins, Buffalo Sabres, Detroit Red Wings, Nashville Predators, Tampa Bay Lightning, Florida Panthers, Chicago Blackhawks, and St. Louis Blues. This one, if you're looking at a map, uh, is a little interesting. And I'll explain on that in just a second. The final division, it would be the Metropolitan Division. You'd have the New York Rangers, the New York Islanders, New Jersey Devils, Washington Capitals, Pittsburgh Penguins, Philadelphia Flyers, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Carolina Hurricanes. Now, if I was doing the divisions, you have those two Florida teams grouped with Boston, Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, and Nashville, as opposed to the teams on the East Coast. So me personally, I would probably switch the Lightning and the Panthers into the Metropolitan Division and then move the Blue Jackets and Penguins over to the Atlantic Division simply for travel purposes <clears throat> and just ge- uh, geographical sense. I think it makes more geographical sense to let Pittsburgh and Columbus play in the Atlantic and let Florida and Tampa Bay play in the Metro Um This is not official. This is just something that's been proposed and is getting floated around. But I'm curious to see how that turns out because um, I believe that there will be a division realignment happening. And I feel pretty confident saying that there will be an all-Canadian division with the seven teams from Canada just because of the travel ban. But Commissioner Bettman has not said one way or the other what the official plans are, so we'll have to stay tuned on that. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association. And their season they just got approved to play a season. And that season is going to be 72 games, which is 10 fewer than a regular 82 game slate. And that season is going to begin on December the 22nd, which is just before Christmas. (coughs) And that is with the intent to showcase the NBA on Christmas Day like they have. These last few years, they've really hit it hard on Christmas Day with like a five games in one day on Christmas. Basically, you've been able to watch NBA basketball these last few years from when you get up to nighttime. And so they wanted to make sure that that was... Uh, because that's that's a financial... Bonus if they can play on Christmas Um, because of the national TV coverage and everything like that. That just helps make the league more money. And they had to rearrange the players' wages in order to make this season happen. So the players, instead of taking like a 30% deduction in their pay, they're only taking a 10% deduction in pay, which coincides with the 10 games missed. But the salary cap for the NBA season is going to be set at $109.1 million, The luxury tax, $132.6 million. Now, salary cap uh, doesn't really, aff- it's, it's not a substantial change. Um, the biggest change monetarily for the league it would be the players' salaries being prorated by a 10% reduction. Uh, And that's just simply having to do with how much money the league brings in. But it looks like the uh, NBA is ready to rock and roll on that. The NBA draft is actually happening this next week. And the top prospects in the draft... Uh, have all began working out uh, for teams and you know, virtually or what have you. And the top five picks in the draft belong to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Golden State Warriors, Charlotte Hornets, Chicago Bulls and Cleveland Cavaliers. Those are the top five picks. Now, the top prospects in the draft are LaMelo Ball, who played overseas these last couple years. James Wiseman from Memphis. Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Obi Toppin from Dayton. Now, there's been three names that have been floated around as the top overall pick. And that's LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards. I've seen mock drafts where all three of them have been the top pick. And then I've seen, all, I've seen drafts where they've all been somewhere between one and three. And this is the first year that I can recall in a while where the top pick in the draft wasn't set in stone immediately prior to the, the draft. And um, I think any one of those guys could be the top pick. Um, I would expect those three to probably go one, two, and three. But of course, you never know Um, there might always be a, um, a sleeper that does well in a workout that a team jumps up to get, but the draft, yeah, that's, that's happening next week and that's only going to give the teams, uh, basically a month of training camp because you got free agency that opens up two days after the draft. All right. So. It's the NBA draft and then immediately jumping into free agency and then immediately training camps, preseason, regular season. So when the NBA starts on December 22nd, the teams that did not make the playoff bubble will have had 285 days off, which is almost, I mean, you're, it's close enough to a full year. Now, the LA Lakers and the Miami Heat, who played in the NBA Finals, and we're inside the bubble for uh, well over two months. They will have only had 71 days off when that when the new season starts. So you're talking a, a difference of you know 214 days for the teams that didn't make the playoffs this year versus the teams, uh, well Miami and LA that made it all the way to the, the end of the bubble. That's a substantial difference, and I don't know if that's an advantage or a disadvantage, to be completely honest with you. Um, I think having more rest is good for teams that need to get healthy, such as the Golden State Warriors and the Brooklyn Nets. But I, I don't think it... I think the competitive edge of the Lakers and the Heat, having played meaningful basketball for two and a half months... Uh, I think that's going to help them be sharper when they come out. And I, I think it's I, I think you could make a case either way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think the rest could help you, could hurt you, and I think playing more recent could help you and hurt you. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I wish the NHL would come out with a target start date and maybe some structure to their season. Like the NBA has announced, Uh, it is the middle of November. We are getting awfully close to uh, having to start that NHL season and still no word from them on that, but at least the NBA's got it squared away and it looks like they're going to be starting uh, training camps here soon after we get this draft and some free agency stuff taken care of. But we'll move over real quick back to the National Football League and Uh, Last week, the NFL announced that they had concluded their uh, investigation, so to speak, into the Las Vegas Raiders' uh, violations of COVID protocols. And the punishment was handed down to the Raiders. And that punishment was pretty substantial. The team, the organization, is getting fined $500,000. Coach John Gruden is getting fined $150,000 and the team will forfeit a sixth round pick in next April's 2021 NFL Draft. That is pretty substantial and the Titans somehow got away with no punishment. Uh, They were looked into by the NFL for some violations due to their outbreak But I guess the Raiders were more careless with uh, how they did things, and Gruden's already been fined for not wearing a mask on the sidelines. So I think when the NFL looked at the totality of the circumstance and the fact that they just had several players last week get put on the injured COVID reserve list, uh, the NFL's basically setting a tone and saying, hey, you need to follow our protocols or there's going to be some substantial monetary and draft capital punishments headed your way. And the uh, Vegas Raiders uh, seemed to have set the precedent on that. But that'll be really interesting to see if any other teams come up with violations of that extent to where the NFL has to step in and start taking draft picks and money from these teams. But if that doesn't send the message, then I don't know what the hell will. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball. And, of course, a couple weeks ago, the World Series ended. And uh, on last episode, I talked about that World Series ending and how the L.A. Dodgers third baseman, Justin Turner, had tested positive for the virus or got notified of a positive test in the middle of uh, Game 6 of the World Series. And he was removed from the game, but then he ended up running back out on the field for the celebration, joining his teammates. He had his mask off several times uh, in the post-game celebration. And the MLB uh, was talking about a potential fine or suspension to Justin Turner for doing that. And like I said, I I would have, if I was Justin Turner, I'd have done the same damn thing. You might not get to win the World Series ever again. So why not go celebrate with your teammates? You had just been in the locker room with them for, you know, four weeks prior to that, playing the playoffs. So, uh, you know, what the hell? So the MLB came out this week and announced that there will be no punishment for Justin Turner for going back out onto the field after he was advised not to by Major League Baseball. And I think that's the right call. Um, I just don't think it would have been fair to punish him for for that circumstance because if we were in those shoes, we were all Justin Turner, we would have gone back on that field, especially when he was asymptomatic and the potential for a false positive test being very likely considering they were inside of the MLB bubble. So I do think that was a good judgment call by Commissioner Rob Manfred and the MLB not to fine or suspend Justin Turner for uh, any part of next season. Now there's been some MLB awards that have been handed out these last couple days and the Cy Young winners were announced on Wednesday and your American League Cy Young winner is Cleveland Indians pitcher Shane Bieber who was a unanimous selection. So uh, no doubter there in the American League. Bieber, he led the league in strikeouts. The dude was just, he was putting up 10 to 12 strikeouts every time he went out there, regardless of how many innings he pitched. Um, You know, Cleveland, they got some good young players and Bieber's right there in the mix of that crew. Now your National League Cy Young winner, is Cincinnati Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer, and Trevor Bauer is a his record was only five and four, but his ERA was one point seven three, and he also was a beast when it comes to strikeouts. Now, Major League Baseball has taken a hit on their. Um, the money that they've made this year, obviously, as, as all the other leagues have. And so their free agency is going to be fairly limited as far as the amount of money that these teams can hand out just due to the lack of profit that they've made this year with no fans being allowed in attendance. And I say that because Trevor Bauer is a free agent this, this offseason. And he can either sign his $18.1 million qualifying offer with... Cincinnati, or test the free agency market. And I would fully suspect him to test the free agency market because he's a pitcher that's probably looking at somewhere in the ballpark of around $30 million per season. Almost double what you would pay uh, Trevor Bauer to sign that $18 million franchise tender, so to speak. But that's going to wrap up the... 19th version of sports island hope you all enjoyed it i appreciate you guys listening be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and you can find the podcast on facebook as well at sports island podcast and i appreciate you guys listening like i said uh, stay safe be well and we'll catch you on sports island next week